Hello, you're listening to Rev Brad and the Soccer Chaplains United podcast from the Touchline. Sunday, April 18, 2021 is a day that may well go down in the history books as a day of football infamy. Twelve of the most prestigious and powerful football clubs in Europe, made up of the likes of Real Madrid and Manchester United, announced their intention to leave UEFA, the Union of European Football Associations, and form a new Super League with other top-tier teams. Well, it only took days for the Super League initiative to collapse under the weight of public opinion and peer pressure, but the damage was already done. The reputation of long-standing clubs, their ownership, and even the managers who were sent out like lambs to the wolves as the face of their clubs to answer questions from media and fans. So today, my take on how the Bible explains the failed Super League. Stay tuned. Just a little off foot, thinking he's going to go far post. Not strong enough with his right hand. Whips that one in. Far post, almost made him in, and they have. He has the hat trick. The second in his career. The third of the night. The hat trick hero. Talked about you're not going to be able to sustain that kind of pressure. To the corner. Goes towards the near post. And you're the angle, and what a goal! What a goal! So let me say from the beginning, by virtue of offering this bit of a disclaimer, I am not an expert on European football. I am a Manchester United fan, but I don't claim to be super knowledgeable about the game on the other side of the pond, and I certainly cannot fully appreciate the feelings of betrayal and loss that many of my European friends feel at this time. It probably doesn't help that a few of these clubs which look to break away from UEFA have American ownership or American interests tied into the team. But I recently heard a sermon from my friend and colleague, Reverend Brad Strait. I love Brad. I call him Brad the Greater because he's truly a humble and great pastor. He has a great heart for his people and his skill as a pastor, as a shepherd, is much greater than my own in that sense. So I often call him Brad the Greater. Well, as Brad was sharing in a recent sermon, he talked about 10 consequences of the fall. And I started to think and draw parallels between the fall of man and the failed Super League. So if you want to follow along, I encourage you to follow along with me in Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to read through it, and then I'll reference a few of the verses that Rev. Brad the Greater has highlighted for us. And as with most things, the metaphor, the parallels have their own limitations. But I think it would be a helpful practice for us to see how Genesis 3 fits into the failed Super League and other situations and circumstances. You know, for example, Genesis 3 could help us understand the collapse of a football club or see the destruction of a family relationship or a friendship. I think, too, there are likely to be many of the same characteristics present in different situations or scenarios that we might apply to life, to football, to faith, to friendships, to family. So let me begin by reading Genesis 3. If you have a Bible or access to one through your phone, if you aren't driving or anything, please follow along with me. But let me begin reading Genesis 3. Reading from the NIV. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, 
who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, so I hid. And God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you've done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, Cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pains and childbearing. With pain, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and also take from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of the life. So really quick, what I want to do is run through the 10 consequences of the fall as identified by my friend Brad, and then I'm going to go through the Super League parallels. And a slight caveat, I think you can actually nuance these out a bit differently. And if I had more time, maybe I would even come up with an 11th. But suffice it to say, 10 is a good number, and here they are. The first is this. Verse 7, we see that Adam and Eve feel naked, or they know they're naked. They feel shame, and they make coverings. Essentially, they hide from each other. The second consequence is this. They hear the sound of God walking, and they hide from God. You see that in verse 8. The third consequence, I was afraid. The man Adam confesses to his feelings of fear. These are new feelings. They've never been in the garden before. There's never been a reason to be afraid. You can see that in verse 10. Next, we see kind of a two-part thing. Adam turns and he blames God and he blames Eve, essentially. He blames one another. The woman you put here with me. Adam ends up blaming God for what's happened. See that in verse 12. Eve turns and she blames the serpent. It's the serpent. He deserved, deceived me. We see that in verse 13. And so Eve turns around and she's blaming something outside of her relationship with Adam, outside of her relationship with God. She's blaming an animal, blaming essentially evil or Satan. The next consequence we see, the sixth one, is God says, I will put enmity or war between you and the woman, between her offspring and yours. The seventh, there's going to be pain in childbearing. There's going to be for Eve a desire for control and the sense of she's going to be ruled over by her husband, by Adam. And then he turns to Adam, 
Cursed is the ground because of you. And it's really going to be hard labor and toil. That's the only way that you're going to be able to produce things and get ahead or get things in life now. It's going to be hard, hard work. And that hard work will result in or lead to death. Adam's death, Eve's death. They will return to the dust from which they were created, the, the ground from which they, they were made. And that's the ninth consequence. The last consequence, maybe even a grace, was they were banished from the garden. God didn't want them to reach out and eat from the tree of life. He didn't want them to go into this, uh, into this separation from him for eternity. And so he banished the way for them to live eternally with, with this pain, with this death, with these consequences. So how does the failed Super League connect to these consequences? Um, I'm going to go through these and I'm going to try and make some parallels. I'm going to try and make some statements. Now, just to give you a little bit more. So I've, I've read, I I typically read the athletic, um, as a news source, uh, on all things football. And I read other little bits and, and pieces here. So, uh, you might have a little bit better knowledge than I do. You might have uh, knowledge of a certain situation, or maybe there's a new story or something that comes out after I've recorded and, and posted this up on the pod. But what I want to do is draw some of these parallels as best as I can and help us to realize how the failed Super League connects into Genesis 3, but also too, maybe there's a situation that you've gone through in your life. Maybe it's uh, in relation to uh, a relationship or uh, a contract that you've had or another situation. I think that there's many places where Genesis 3 can help us explain and understand these kinds of things. So to get into it, um, let's look at the first consequence. Here we see Adam and Eve covering up and hiding from each other. Now, I think you can see this on a number of levels that the Super League connects into this. You know, after the initial announcement came out on that Sunday, and there was some initial backlash, all of a sudden, a few days later, a couple of the clubs that came out and announced quickly broke ranks and they said, we're out. Now, I don't know how it all went down, but I can imagine that uh, one of two things happened. Either once the announcement came out and all the backlash came, clubs got real quiet. Maybe there wasn't even talk amongst each other, or maybe there were, maybe there are more secret meetings. Like, how do we deal with this? What do we say? How do we come out and say this? But a couple of those clubs knew right away, we, we need to get out. We need to pull out of this. Um, in fact, one of the articles in The Athletic, I remember, commented on the lack of communication uh, or the lack of a communication game plan once a maelstrom of protest launched out. And there were comments from clubs, but there didn't seem to be this organized, unified plan in place. And as those teams started to backtrack, that's where I seem, see a parallel here. I think that many of the clubs were realizing what they had just done. Their eyes were opened. They had reached out to take the tempting offer of this Super League, and then there was a sense of shame that came, us, came almost immediately upon making the announcement. And likely, each club started to cover up. And as they saw the, the results of this bid to break away, uh, they saw the fans reacting, they saw the media, they saw all things global kind of happening. Uh, they started to cover themselves. You know, we do this when we reach out to grab the shiny, tempting thing. Maybe you can think of a time when you had buyer's remorse. There it was, that shiny new car sitting on the lot. You went, you put the money down after driving it, taking it for a test drive. And then you get home and you go, this doesn't make sense for my budget. I can't afford this. This is nice, but what have I just done? That's probably the closest, easiest example I can come, come up with is a sense of buyer's remorse, or, or maybe it's even moments after the affair. There's that sinking feeling of, 
what have I just done? What have I let myself do? And there's a load of shame and regret that follows. You know, a lot of times I've counseled couples that have gone through extramarital affairs. And many times these feelings of, of remorse are pretty standard, like Im- almost immediately after the fact. It's like, oh no, what have I done? And there's this eye opening that takes place. And I imagine that, especially in this, th- this consequence of having the Super League is many of these clubs, the owners, the, the people that were involved in making decisions all of a sudden said, what have we done? Their eyes were open to the effect uh, that it was having. So then comes the second consequence this hiding from God. Now, here the metaphor in parallel has limitations. Who's God in the scenario? Is it FIFA, the fans, domestic leagues? Well, in no way would I want to put anyone or anything on par with God, especially not FIFA. But in this case, I believe that the metaphor, essentially, God might be representative of anyone and everyone that represents relational authority. Let me say that again. God in this case represents anyone and everyone that represents relational authority. So at some level, that could be the fans, could be football governing bodies. Uh, Again, none of those entities are truly representative of God's perfection or his glory or goodness, but they can and do represent things like relationship, covering, authority, responsibility, accountability, and other things that could be interpreted into this situation. And the truth is that when we sin, when we get greedy, we often hide out from people in authority, from figures in our lives who, who we have a responsibility and accountability to. And certainly that's what these clubs did. These 12 clubs, as they met in secret, as they kind of hid their intentions and then all of a sudden announced it, there seems to be this this sense of them hiding from the authority figures and the governing bodies in the sense as as they made this decision, as they made this call. Now, on to the next consequence. This past weekend, there were disturbing images as I watched protesters storm into Old Trafford, the stadium where Manchester United play. Whilst many might feel like this was pretty harmless, we're getting into places in our world where human life and the fragility of it seems to be in greater danger in and around things that we normally would never have had previous concerns about. Now, I don't know exactly how security guards, the police, others felt in Manchester, but certainly there must have been a a bit of fear that, that was going on, something present in those moments as protesters started to gather and as, that, as the frenzy kind of worked up into this violence where, where they actually stormed in and got into the field and smashed cameras and, di- and did other things. To me, this is the sad thing that's part of the failed Super League, uh, is a sense of fear. The fans fear the owners. The clubs fear one another. They, they don't trust each other. Guards and workers, even in this moment, are fearing what the fans and protesters are going to do and so on and so on. You know, Adam and Eve, I mentioned this, they, they absolutely had no fear when they were living and working in the garden with God beforehand. But now they've reached out. They've taken the, the tempty, temp, tempting, shiny fruit. And now they know good and evil. They know the difference and they know the feeling that evil produces. It produces this feeling of fear because now they know something they didn't previously know. I think in some ways the owners, right? They might have some fears because now they know, oh, the power of the fans or the power of these governing bodies or the power of public opinion and social media, whatever it is. The the fear of the fans. Oh, uh, the power of these owners, the, the power of the rich to, to go and, and do a money grab or a power grab. Fear, fear, fear. Fear kind of just seems to work all of his way inside of this situation. 
The next thing in the garden, and I, I think too that we see even in the Super League situation, is we see the sad unfolding of the blame game. Adam blames God, then he blames Eve. Now, I haven't read anything specifically whereby any of the Super League clubs or representatives are turning and pointing the finger of blame at any one particular person or, or one particular club for leading astray. Uh, I think many of the pundits have done that. They've thrown some names out there. But in the case of the Super League, who, who would we name? Who could we name? Who would we blame? Would it be the owners? But would we even say, oh, it's the American owners or, or it's someone like Ed Woodward, you know, if you're a United fan or Real Madrid's president, Florentino Perez. Some have levied accusations and hurtful things at the coaches and managers even who had to go out and face the media and the journalists, those that were asking the questions, although I think most of them, to my knowledge, had been in the dark about the whole thing. The Super League club owners and representatives actually were, were kind of blaming a failed system for their dalliance with the temptation of the Super League proposal. I, I think in a strictly business sense, maybe the Super League might feel like it's justified, right? But football isn't just a business, although it's become that for many people and organizations. But, but for a common person, football is something different from business. Football is something more than business. It's a game. It's a, it's a sport. It's something to entertain. It's something to, to, to lose yourself in, in a sense. And, and so I think for many people, there's a sense of blame that starts to unfold. And, and we see it too in the garden. We see the twofold edge to the blame game in Genesis 3. Not only does Adam blame authority or, or God, and, and not only does Adam blame those he's in relationship with, essentially Eve, but we see Eve turn and blame the serpent, the tempter. Essentially, she blames evil, the embodiment of that evil, in other words, Satan. The serpent tends to, or can represent, in this case, with the Super League, external forces. And, and so we see these external forces. We see the, the, the serpent, Satan, in Genesis 3, tempting and, and giving this alluring thing. Now, Maybe we can look at the brokenness of the European system, or we can, we can understand that there's a cash flow, a financial situation that's gone on because of the pandemic with these clubs, and they're trying to recoup their losses, and they're making these arguments um, that these Super League clubs are, are pointing towards, this is the reason, here's our temptation. We have losses to cover. We, we, we have money that we need to try and restore or recoup as these big clubs. I, I tried to explain this to my wife and kids who were wondering, Dad, what's all this fuss with, with what's going on with the Super League? And, and I kind of shared with them, you know, the world, or at least in the owner's views, uh, the world wants to see Manchester United play against Barcelona. No one cares if United plays the Colorado Rapids, my own club, right? A small club. No, everybody wants to see the big powers play against each other because they have the best players, the best talent. At least that's the argument that's kind of being made. So you can see how blame is kind of working in and amongst all these different entities and parts of the Super League failure. Well, the sixth consequence of the fall recorded in Genesis 3 is put this way by God. There will be enmity between the serpent and the woman, between her offspring and yours. Essentially, there's going to be a war. There's going to be a fight, a battle, or as my friend Brad Strait put it, a generational battle, a generational war. And given what's gone on in this past weekend with protests at EPL clubs, with the violence that postponed the United-Liverpool match, you can see the effects of the Super League fail and fall. Ultimately, unfortunately, it's denigrated into violence. 
But perhaps more importantly, we can see and understand and know that the Super League idea will have ramifications for generations. Whether it's centered on mistrust of ownership or the pending punishments yet to be handed out to the clubs that intended to break away, or just even the disdain and soiled reputations of these clubs amongst their peers, there are multiple ways we're going to see an impact on future generations of the game and these teams. Now, a natural consequence for the 12 elite clubs may actually come at the expense of their futures. And I think that this really closely aligns with the seventh consequence from Genesis 3. Uh, God there says, you will have pain in childbearing. And so there's a twofold part to this. Let me talk about the first. The youth academies of these clubs may be sorely affected by what's gone on. If the elite European clubs face fines or penalties or certain punishments, that will be one thing. But as I said, their reputations have been tarnished. If you're an athlete with an eye toward a future with being part of one of these professional clubs, being a professional player, are you going to take the risk that they might be banned from a competition or saddled with regulations and restrictions that might impact your playing career? I don't know. Uh, I'm not a great enough authority or wise enough to see into the future on this, but when God tells Eve that she will have pain in childbirth, I think there will be a similar knock-on effect for those in football clubs and their uh, ability to produce good young talent. You know, the second part of the consequence for Eve, uh, God states, is a desire for your husband and he will have control. Uh, I I think amongst uh, Bible teachers and scholars, this, this line has always had a bit of controversy. You know, what's God really saying here is, is just man's going to dominate women all the time. That, that seems not to be right, but essentially it does have something to do with this desire to be in control. And I think that the credibility of these clubs, the Manchester United's, the Chelsea's, uh, the Man City's, they, they, their reputations have been so undermined that Typically, where they have a seat at the table because of their prestige, their honor, their history, their, their finances, where they've had a seat at the table amongst the football paradigm and, and the conversation that's ongoing, those things certainly are in jeopardy. When Adam and Eve were in the garden before the fall, they were equals. They were co-laborers. Yes, they had differences. They had things that made them unique and special, but they shared equally with one another. And one of the consequences of sin is that a hierarchy forms and someone gets left out of the equation. Someone gets left out of the authority structure. Someone becomes oppressed or suppressed. And this could be one of the bigger consequences of the Super League fallout for these clubs, I think. Now, in talking about the last three consequences of Genesis 3, I want to speak more broadly to what may occur for these teams. So God tells Adam, the ground is cursed. Essentially, it's going to be hard work for the rest of your life. God then talks about death for both Adam and Eve. There would be a returning to the ground, ashes to ashes and dust to dust. Finally, Adam and Eve are banished from the garden. Now, there haven't been any announcements of penalties, fines, or punishments yet for these clubs. I imagine that because they have different domestic leagues and such, that maybe these things come at different times, different ways, different levels. It would be really hard if these clubs were banished, though, from certain competitions for even a period of time. The loss of prestige, the loss of income, other financial rewards, whether it's television contracts, sponsorships, and more, all of these things would be immensely difficult for a club to swallow. 
And I think we're going to see, I, I believe just how much the power these clubs have in the coming weeks and months as punishments are prescribed or handed out and, and certain legal processes I think have to get underway and, and see their way to, to finality. But all this to say, I do think it's going to be hard for these clubs in the future to do well in European and maybe even domestic competitions. Recent stories of clubs like Leeds United or Sunderland or Scotland Storied Rangers come to mind. Clubs that were sent further and further down into their league structure and they had to kind of work their way back up. There may be an uphill climb, a ground that sort of produces thorns and thistles for these clubs to go through, although to what extent I think it's hard to say. To the other consequences, though, I, I think we could say there is something like a death that's already happened, right? The integrity, the storied histories of these clubs, even from their different cultural and historical backgrounds, now those histories have this bit of a, a black mark on them. They, they have this shame moment. And certainly the fans, uh, to be fair, uh, I've paid more attention to the English clubs, but the fans certainly have felt as though something's died within them around this failed Super League attempt. Probably as an American, I can't fully appreciate this. This this is a point that I think I don't totally get or understand or feel, being on this side of the pond and and being sort of a a distant observer and fan of Manchester United. But for those that this club means something, for those who this club is their religion, which is quite a popular thing for United fans to say, the fact that this thing happened in secret and the way that it went was gone about this failed super league attempt i think will feel like a death for many people now friends we've come to the end of the podcast today and if you stayed with me i hope you've been interested or intrigued by my parallelism here of the super league to genesis 3 and the account of the fall of man but i don't want to simply just let it hang on the super league i think genesis 3 explains more than the failed attempt for a football elite competition It explains the depravity and the conditions of the world we live in. Maybe not every one of the 10 consequences of the fall in Genesis 3 might be applied to every situation, but I think one could argue you could come pretty close. Here's the thing, though. God is working right now, and He has been since Genesis 3 happened. God has been working to reconcile humankind back to Himself. For all of the places where we've reached out a hand and taken the tempting fruit of the tree and we've sinned and we've disobeyed and we've gone down a wrong path, where we've hidden, where we've been in shame and in secret, where we've lived in fear, when we've been hiding, God is working toward redemption. He's working toward reconciliation, forgiveness, and restoration. And much of that work is complete in the life and person of Jesus Christ. Maybe you've had a failed Super League moment in your life. Maybe you're curious how you might ever come back from it. I would love to share with you. I would love to encourage you and point you to the only person that I know can help you make a full recovery. I'd love it if you reached out. I will certainly make myself available to tell you more. Send me an email, podcast at soccerchaplainsunited.org, or go on our website. It's easy enough to get a hold of me and reach out. As we go, let me leave us with a prayer around this super messed up, super league foul up and failing. Oh God, we've made our football into our religion, and once again, our religion has failed us. But you desire more than a religious people. You desire a people of relationship. We now have cursed grounds. We now have pains in our childbearing and child raising. We all have desires for control that can never be satisfied, and a war that has been going on for generations, and we've likely got generations more. 
Send us a savior. No, no Messi, Ronaldo, or Beckham will do. Only Jesus can save us from our failed football Super League ideas and all other shiny temptations that hang about low on the tree, where we have eaten from time and time again to our own shame and chagrin. Give us hope. Give us a future. Give us something that goes beyond football. Help us to see and receive the only one that can make all things new. Forgive our wanderings. Forgive our sins. Forgive our blaming. Let our faith, our hope, our love be somehow renewed. Amen. Well, this is Rev Brad coming to you from the Touchline.